So today and next Sunday, we will complete our focused discussion on the death of Christ. We've been considering the question, why did Jesus die? And this question was sparked in my own mind as we went through the Sermon on the Mount, that one statement that Jesus made, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Y'all make your best attempt to teach them. I will fulfill them. And certainly the center point of scripture is the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For the last two months or so, we've been digging into uh, the rich wisdom that God has for us, the teaching, the theology on this subject. The death of Christ is anticipated and portrayed vividly in the Old Testament by the Hebrew prophets. They would employ many different ways to point us to the one who would come. Straight up prophecies. Guys, here's where he'll be born. Keep an eye out on Bethlehem. Not the big one, the small one. Keep your eye out on Bethlehem. It'll be a little different, this entrance, this birth. He'll be born of a virgin. And he'll be named that which no Jewish parent would ever name their child, God. The authors would use types and figures to show us that there is one who is coming and what he will do is so stupendous. Do you remember Melchizedek shows up abruptly in the book of Genesis? A king who is also a priest, who had no genealogy to show, no earthly way to prove that he even had a mother or father. Of course he did, but those records weren't available. Well, the author of Hebrews says, guys, remember Melchizedek? We don't have kings who are also priests until the Lord Jesus came. And can join those two offices together, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. With no beginning, being the Son of God. Oh, you can trace his earthly genealogy. But we have to say that about him. Because he has no beginning. We've looked at a lot of different words. A lot of very rich Bible theology words that we should not be afraid of. That we should learn and understand because they yield so much comfort and encouragement and confidence in what Christ has done for me. It's not about us, our performance. It's his performance that was perfect on our behalf. We looked at the word propitiation. It's a big word, but it's in your Bible, Old and New Testament. It means to appease, to satisfy Jesus completely and in every way satisfied the holiness, the righteousness of the law, God's justice in every way. He took my sin upon himself. In fact, scripture says he became sin for me. I do not have to live my life feeling guilty every day. I sin, 
But then John says, we confess our sins and he is faithful to his promise to forgive and to cleanse us and to restore our fellowship on a daily basis with him. Redemption. We looked at wrath and inheritance. There's a reason why the son of God was here in the first place. There's a reason why the sinless son of man was a ball of blood dying in his own saliva, pinned to a Roman cross. And that is because the wrath of God, though it is not popular to even acknowledge it today, is real. And my sin draws the wrath of God. But Jesus stepped in between. Remember the garden of Gethsemane where he sweat drops of blood knowing full well what he was about to incur, what he was about to absorb. Oh, he saved us from the wrath of God unto an inheritance that we can't even begin to describe. We are not just slipped in the back door. We are co-heirs with Christ. Recently, we looked at two very beautiful words in the gospel context, destroy and deliver. By virtue of his death, Jesus completely destroyed the one who had the power of death. He not only took away death, the sting of death, but he took the one who had the power of death. And we, who have been in slavery by virtue of our fear of death, that is now removed. These are gospel words. They're beautiful. And they're all tied to the death of Christ. The death of Christ is not a side note in the story of Scripture, the narrative. The death of Christ is the very centerpiece of Scripture. Paul told the Corinthians, I have passed on on to you that which was of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried and that he rose again, just as Scripture said, to deliver us. Now, today's concepts... We will continue with the good news. Remember, the gospel means good news. Everything about Jesus is good news. When we understand why he came and believe in him. We've talked a lot about being saved and forgiven back then. When we became a Christian. What a beautiful thing. That's called justification. We're declared righteous. We who are not righteous are actually declared righteous. And not just like good people. Absolutely perfect because we have Christ's righteousness. And we're saved from the wrath of God which is yet future. So it's back then and it's in the future. But what about now? How does the death of Christ. Help me today. When I'm trying to live a godly life in a world that, let's face it, is not 
godly. That does not cherish the holiness and the righteousness of God. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. So let's consider a lengthy passage today while highlighting key truths. Now, my goal this morning is not to bring everything out of this passage, but to simply point you, perhaps, to further study of this well-known passage. Because it shows us the beauty and the power of the blood of Christ, the cross of Christ, for us today. When we consider the book of Romans, there's this beautiful movement, the first few chapters in the book of Romans where Paul summons the entire world, Jews and Gentiles, and over a number of chapters shows us in great detail how and why we are sinners. Concluding with that statement, that bruiser of a statement, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He then goes on in chapter 4 to talk about this idea of being justified and saved by faith apart from works. It's not our efforts, it's what Christ has done on our behalf, it's a gift. And then Romans 5 and 6, it talks about us reigning in life and our union with Christ. And there's this beautiful, beautiful truth that as a Christian... As a believer in Christ, we are one with him. We are united with him in every way. And these are the truths that we'll look at in Romans chapter 6. So I invite you to turn or scroll to Romans chapter 6 in your New Testament. Few books in the Bible speak to the gospel like Romans does. Romans shows us the simplicity, the power of the gospel and of the cross of Christ. So he has just told his readers, now that he's brought everybody into the courtroom, told us we're all sinners, he then tells us how we can be set free or forgiven, that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And now he's going to talk about what it means to be in Christ now, what it looks like, what is available to us. Verse 1, what shall we say then? I just want to point this out. When Paul explains this beautiful truth that salvation is apart from our own efforts, there's a natural question that might arise. Well, if it's a free gift and if Jesus did it all, well, then maybe I can just live any way I want. Paul shows how unscriptural that is. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means, God forbid. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized or immersed into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore. Remember, we are united with Christ. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we should no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Bear with me, we're almost done. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not remember God does not ask you to do anything that you cannot do by his spirit. That's not in Romans. Do not present your bot your members as to, uh, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God. As those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. Have you ever attempted to... To get a drink out of a fire hydrant. Can you imagine that? Just opening it up and trying to even take it in. That's what it, it feels like with a passage like this. Preachers will spend months and months and months and even years preaching just through this passage that we have looked at. So let's summarize what we've been saying all along. Jesus delivers us, redeems us, and is the perfect propitiation for us before God. All of this is being saved from the penalty of sin. We praise God for that. We are saved from the wrath of God that is yet future. Remember our Awana verse, Romans 6.23, it just puts it so beautifully. For the wages of sin is death, but in contrast, the free gift of God 
is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But here's the great news. There's more. There is more even to the fact that we are forgiven and given eternal life. The power of the cross is not just for back then when we got saved or in the future. There's power for now. There is power over the sinful habits, thoughts, and actions that so often characterized us before we knew Christ. Particularly those of you who came to Christ when you were a bit older. And it's these things that I want us to walk through and highlight in this passage. Remember, we're asking the question, why did Jesus die? And this morning, we're making direct application to our walk with the Lord now. Who among us is not subject to temptation, to lust, to passions, to bad habits, and so on and so forth? The power of the cross. Why did Jesus die? When we speak of the here and now, there's a very important Bible word that we need to understand. Regeneration. Or being born again. Or born from above. This is precisely what Paul is speaking to in Romans chapter Six. When we are saved, remember Jesus said to Nicodemus, I mean, here he is, like religious leader of the day, I mean, he should know these things. He's like, I don't know what it is about you. I mean, you know, you're raising the dead, doing miracles. There's something about you. You are different. And when you speak, we all know you speak with authority. Came in the dead of the night so others wouldn't see him. What is it? What, what's your, what, what, what do you want to tell us? You remember what Jesus said? This is John chapter 3. He rebuked him. He said, you're a religious leader. You don't know these things? I mean, basically, just go read your Bible, the Old Testament. It's pretty clear. You must be born again. You must be born again. Again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven, much less enter it, unless you are born again. You see, being born again is the, the concept of being transformed. Lots of people, virtually every philosophy or religious movement, at its core, has an element of reformation. That is, Make yourself better. Do better next time. Become a better person. Make yourself a better person five years ago than you were, you know, today. That's not the gospel. The gospel says you're actually dead in your sins. The gospel says, Romans 8, you're an enemy of God. The gospel says God is holy. God is righteous. 
And God is just. And you need to be reconciled to him. And you cannot reconcile yourself to God by your actions, by your good performance, by checking off when you've been to Sunday school or or to church service or how much money you've given away. All of those things are good, but they don't get you in. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. And this is the beauty, the power, and the simplicity of the gospel. Remember, that's how Jesus started with Nicodemus. That chapter continues, John chapter 3, with verse 16. With the wonderful simplicity of the gospel. Whoever believes in him, Christ, will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, when we are saved, we are not merely declared righteous. That's a beautiful thing. That's, being, that, that's justification, is being, being forgiven of our sins. It's wonderful. But we're still here. The passage that Jeff read earlier, Titus chapter 2, it specifically says that Christ died that he might create for himself a people who are zealous for good works, who are zealous to do what pleases God, who are zealous. It's not something that they do under compulsion, but there's a change of heart that has taken place. And so now I am inclined to serve God. I am inclined to walk with him. I am inclined to love my neighbor. But we're not perfect yet. There's God's seed that lives in us. But then there's a chapter in your Bible, it's actually the very next one, chapter 7, that talks about what I can only describe as a war zone, which is sanctification, growing in the Lord. Knowing that I need to love my neighbor, but not liking my neighbor. Knowing that I need to extend forgiveness because that would be pleasing to the Lord. But, oh, I think I'll just hold on to this grudge a little longer. It's knowing that 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 I used to run to, that sin, that temptation, it felt so good. But it's sins like those that nailed my Savior to a cross. I can't go there anymore. Now don't raise your hand because every hand will go up. Do we or do we not struggle with sin, temptation, lust, disappointment each and every single day without exception? This is the beauty and this is the power of Of the cross. Notice what he says. He says that we might walk, verse 3, verse 4, that we too might walk in newness of life. When the scripture talks about our walk, Psalm 1, for example, it's our daily conduct, it's how we how we align our thoughts, it's how we form our convictions, it's 
how we live each and every day. It's the disposition that we develop within ourselves to honor the Lord. That's what it means to walk in the newness of life. Our whole life trajectory is different than what it was before. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people who don't know Christ who do good things. But if this is on the other side of the equation. I'm now doing good things and I'm doing things that, that actually many of my good works are not going to receive an applause from the world. Because I have an audience of one. And his standards, what pleases him, I guarantee you every generation is the same thing. Much of that is not going to please the people in culture. So he says that we were baptized or immersed into his death. Now, I don't mean to ask an obvious question. What happened on the cross? Jesus died. Today, we'll have the beautiful picture of water baptism. This wonderful example where I or whoever has a privilege of standing in the water with people or perhaps it's in a river or a lake and we take them under and all the way back up again because why? We're identifying first and foremost with Christ. The first couple of verses. But we're also demonstrating that the old Colin is gone. I may not get it right every day, but I've been born again. I put on my new self and my endeavor, my desire, however imperfectly I flesh this out, is to walk with Christ and to honor him in all that I do. So know this about the death of Christ. This is why I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on this right now. Do not look merely at the death of Christ as simply an event that happened 2,000 years ago. It did. That's the historicity of the cross. But as a Christian, I died too. The death of Christ is the death of Colin. The old Colin. That I might walk in the newness of life. Saints, God's word does not say, when we, when we read our New Testament, it does not say of anyone that they can walk in the newness of life if they are not in Christ. We can truly please God because of the cross, because we're born again. Our old self has been crucified. That's not a sentiment. It's not a nice thought. It's not an invitation. It's a statement of truth. That's what the new birth is. That's why John explicitly, with great intentionality, 1 John, speaks to believers and says, Well, the seed of God is in you. Therefore, you're going to see God reflected in your life. There's a cause and effect. It is the entire paradigm. It's what the new birth means. God now lives in you. But look at what he says in our passage. This is so important. He says, we are not enslaved to sin. 
before Christ took residence in our life, before we were born again, we were enslaved, he says, to sin. Oh, you can better yourself. You can do better every day. But only by the Spirit of God can you be free from the tyranny or the dominion of sin. A number of centuries ago, 1600s, John Owen wrote this. And just to set what I'm getting at here. We are saved from the slavery of sin, but we are still in this body, this side of glory, subject to temptation. Right? So that's where we are right now. John Owen said this. Is Christ crucified for sin? And shall our hearts not be crucified with him unto sin? This is right out of Romans 6. Shall we give entertainment unto that? Or hearken unto its dalliances? Which wounded, which pierced, which slew our dear Lord Jesus? God forbid. Fill your affections, he said in the 1600s. Fill your affections with the cross of Christ. That there may be no room for sin. That's our responsibility. That is our disposition. We cannot be lazy Christians. We cannot be distracted Christians. He also said so well, so truthfully, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That there may be no room for sin. The world once put him out of the house in a stable when he came to us. Let him now turn the world out of doors when he has come to sanctify, set apart us. Labor. Therefore, to fill your hearts with the cross of Christ. That's a good word. That's a good word. You see, I am no longer subject to the slavery of sin. But I'm also still here. My body has not fully been uh, redeemed. I'm not in heaven yet. So I'm subject to temptation and perfectly capable of falling to it. I've said many times, my neighbor growing up had a bumper sticker, lead me not to temptation for I can find it myself. Um, So here's what I'm saying. We have a blessing and we have a responsibility. Christ has broken that power that sin had over us. You and I must be diligent and watchful to fill our hearts with the cross of Christ. Death has no jurisdiction over Jesus, Romans 6. And nor does it have any jurisdiction over us. Because we are in him. So saints, you might be here this morning. 
discouraged that you blew it once again yesterday. That your anger snapped. That you gave in to temptation. May I give you a word of encouragement. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. You will stumble. You will fall. Do not listen to the voice of the adversary. Who will always condemn. Who will always shame. The gospel is void of those two vices. The spirit of God will convict. Here's what he will do. He will bring to our attention where we need to stop or to grow or to make a U-turn. But he will never shame us. Because Christ, Christ took all of that on himself. He will never ever make us feel guilty. Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It is, it is irrespective of our performance. There is no condemnation. There's no place for that. So listen, when you sin, when you stumble, when you even cause harm to others, when you hurt others with your sin, confess it to the Lord. We looked at that last week, 1 John 1. Acknowledge it, admit it. It's the beauty of the gospel. He took the punishment. Acknowledge it. Allow him to scrub you up, clean you up, and get you on your way. But don't give in to guilt or shame. That's not a part of your inheritance. The power of Christ is, the blood of Christ is powerful and it's beautiful. The power, the help, the support, the encouragement God gives us is not weak. Paul crowns this section of scripture, which is Romans 5 to 8, with statements such as these. Look at this, Romans chapter 8, verse 32. I mean, I could read that whole chapter too. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Saints, would can we please settle something in our minds? God delights in us. He does not see us as dirty. He does not see us as used goods. He gave his son for you. Isaiah 53. It pleased the Lord to crush him. At every turn, Old and New Testament, when we look at the language of the cross, God crushed him. Galatians, he became a curse for us. No wonder why there were earthquakes and darkness and things going haywire. Because the one who upholds all things by the word of his power, the author of life, became subject to death, even death on a cross. And why did he do that? Because he loves you. Do not listen to the lies. Listen to the word of God. When you read your New Testament, look at the prayers that Paul says. Do you know what they are? 
Virtually your entire New Testament is either announcing the good news of Christ or it is hearkening you back to that good news. It's simple, but it'll last you your entire lifetime. Look at the prayers, Philippians 1, Colossians 1. Look at the prayers that are given, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3. They're all showing us, go back to your foundation. Know who you are in Christ. Next week, we'll tie all of this together. We'll observe communion together. I close this morning with a hymn that was composed about two hours from here in Maryland. I don't know the year, but I do know that he was born in 1865. I will not sing this for you because I want you to come back next week. But you will likely recognize this and you can maybe sing it in your mind because you will recognize that there's power in the blood. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Now notice how he weaves together being forgiven and also living it out. Would you over evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the lamb. There is power, power, wonderful working power in the precious blood of the lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. Would you do service for Jesus your King? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood would you live daily his praises to sing there's wonderful power in the blood would you join me as we close in prayer with every head bowed and eyes closed i remind you of that which we said in the beginning jesus said you must be born again If what I have spoken to this morning, actually wanting to do the right thing from your heart is foreign to you, I ask the simple question, have you been born again? I don't mean your performance, I mean your desire. The beauty and the simplicity of the gospel. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life Christ died for sinners and rose again by the power of his resurrection that is what we are trusting in in him and in him alone and dear saints in your journey with Christ perhaps you are not where you would think that you would be perhaps you have regrets Welcome to the club. Confess your sins and lay them at the cross and trust him 
because he is faithful to forgive and to cleanse and to put us on our way again because he loves us. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the power, the efficacy of the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the love that you have for us. Thank you for those grand and glorious gospel statements. Sin shall not have dominion over me. Only you can do that. Father, we pray as we've studied the cross of Christ now for a couple of months. That we would remember who we are in Jesus that we would know our foundation, that we would joyfully trust you every single day, that we would wake up, Lord, make me a blessing to those around me. No, we do not get it right. We do not do it perfectly. But Lord, you are merciful and quick to forgive. Fill our hearts with joy, with peace, as we consider what you have done for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.